Luke chapter 9, verses 37 to 46. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him, and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? And bear with you. Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Now, this is, this, I know this is going to date myself here, but I reckon it would have been in about the mid-1980s. Right? So that, that was back in the last century, or actually the last millennium. Um, so when I was a teenager, back in the last millennium, that, that joke never gets old, does it? Um, the, the Christianity Explained course came out. And churches across Australia ran this six-week course as an introduction to Christianity. Has anyone here ever done the Christianity Explained course? The old people have. Right. Thank you. I'm pretty sure you did, Roy. You did do it with us. I know you did. Um, Anyway, Christianity Explained, it, it makes the assumption that you know nothing about Christianity. And over six weeks, there was homework where you could read a piece of the Gospel of Mark and each week um, you would um, come together and talk about what you've read and talk about and go through a bit bit of the study as well. And um, you'd meet together in a group to do these things. And by the end of it, you would have read the whole of the Gospel of Mark. By the way, it's not only a course for unbelievers. As a Christian, I found it, and I still find it, really helpful to help understand the basics of the Christian faith in a way that we can then explain it to an unbeliever. Now, the thing is, when you read the whole of one of the Gospels, you very quickly realise that not everything that we consider physical or medical is as it seems. There is another dimension to all of this, and that's the spiritual dimension. And as our local church in Gundawindi did this Christianity Explained course, and I was a teenager, and and one of the participants there, a member of our church, um, was a high school science teacher. And he asked the question, what is it with all these demons? It's as if there was an epidemic of them back then. 
And it was very interesting then to hear people discuss and, and give their opinions. And it seemed that the, the prevailing opinion was that demonic activity increases when God is active. And yeah, I think there's probably a fair bit of truth in that. Uh, the demons were really stirred up because Jesus was there. And towards the end of time, when Jesus is about to return, we can expect demons to be prevalent again, right? So that was the prevailing opinion. Now, the science teacher, I could see by the look on his face, he wasn't at all convinced by that. And to an extent, I'm not either, but for a very different reason. There may be some truth to it, but there's more to it than that. The reason I'm not convinced is because the question asked, what is it about these demons? And the answer given are both downplaying the activity of demons today. One was skeptical that demons even exist, because right? it didn't fit this science teacher's science-based worldview. The other was, well, they do exist, they're just not a problem today. And and like the science teacher, many people today want to explain everything with science. And the spirit world being able to impact on our physical world, well, that just doesn't fit their worldview. But then there's others who will admit, oh, yeah, yeah, there are times of demonic activity, but it's not a problem for us in our world today. You know, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the church in Ephesus, and he said this in Ephesians chapter 6, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil and having done all to stand firm. Now, I do not believe that those words were only for Paul. I don't believe that those words were only for the church in Ephesus and only for the church in the first century. We must be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. As disciples of Jesus, as prayerful disciples of Jesus, we wrestle. We wrestle against rulers and against authorities. We wrestle against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, with that in mind, in our Bible reading today, a boy is healed of something that looks a lot like epilepsy. Now, for him, was it a medical condition that he had or was it a spiritual condition that he had? And I'm not asking it that way. I'm not asking, was it a spiritual healing or was it a medical healing? Because all of the healings that Jesus did was, was spiritual, right? So he spiritually healed people of medical conditions. And he spiritually healed people of spiritual conditions. So what I'm asking is, was he healed of a spiritual ailment? Or was he healed of a physical ailment? Was it a medical thing that had to be fixed? 
or was the boy being possessed by an evil spirit? And today I'm going to put the cart before the horse and give you the answer to that straight up and then we're going to go back and study the passage more fully. So we know Jesus fixed that boy right up. Did he heal the physical ailment or did he cast a demon out of the boy to make him better? Well, in fact, he did both. Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and he healed the boy. Uh, Two different things. The the Greek word that that is used there for healed is isato. Uh, And from what I can see, Luke is the only one who uses that word in that form in the Bible. He uses it in three other places plus this one. And each time it's about healing a physical condition. In none of the other places is a demonic spirit involved. Right? So Jesus is physically healing the boy. And Jesus cast a demon out of the boy. And what I learned from this is sometimes a person's illness, and perhaps especially mental illnesses or neurological illnesses, uh, you know the difference, like a mental illness is to, to do more with psychological stuff, whereas a neurological thing is to do with a brain injury or brain function not quite working right. Sometimes the cause of an illness, of all illnesses, sometimes it might be physical. Um, There is something physically wrong with the person's body causing them their symptoms. And that can sometimes be healed by a physician, by a doctor, if there is a known cure. Sometimes the cause of an illness is spiritual. Evil spirits can alter the way a person behaves. And they can torment a person terribly. We've seen this earlier when Jesus healed the man at the Gerasenes. But even if a person isn't totally possessed by a demon, they can still have physical symptoms that stem from a spiritual problem. So, for instance, a, a person may be filled with unforgiveness and bitterness and be consumed by hatred. And that can have a physical effect on their body. They can't sleep, their blood pressure goes up, they can't think straight, they have unreasonable fears and paranoia and phobias. They might even physically shake. Their body is affected by something that its root's cause is a spiritual problem. Unforgiveness, bitterness, hatred. But sometimes there can be such an evil presence that we can't unplay this. Sometimes an evil spirit, an, an unclean spirit, as it's called here, can debilitate a person physically and even control them in ways. So there can be physical causes, there can be spiritual causes, but then sometimes an illness is both, both physical and spiritual. There may be an underlying physical condition and an unclean spirit attacks that person at their point of weakness and their condition that they already have is exacerbated by the unclean spirit. I suspect that's what's going on here and that's why Jesus dealt with both problems. So, as Christians, how do we respond to this? 
Well, firstly, I want to say this. I reckon the two biggest tricks that the devil has up his sleeves are opposites to each other. Perhaps the greatest trick that the devil has is to get people to believe that he doesn't exist. Now, I know you know that Satan and his demons do exist. Why? Because you cannot be a disciple of Jesus. You cannot be a follower of Jesus. You can't be following Jesus' teaching and not believe this. Because Jesus very clearly taught us that evil spirits do exist. And evil spirits do physically affect people. But the devil's second trick is the opposite to that. And I think it is for the children of God to become so consumed by Satan and his demons that they're searching for an evil spirit under every rock and behind every illness and ailment. And that seems to be the drive for some in their Christian life. Oh, we're going into spiritual battle today. Woohoo! It's sort of like that's what drives them. You know what? Yes, we are told to cast out demons, but that is not what we are to seek. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we do. And if a demon gets in the way, then yeah, sure, in the name of Jesus, we cast that demon out. But we don't go seeking them. And we are to be fully aware that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battleground is in prayer and in preparedness. How do we prepare? How do we stand strong with the armour of God? Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, prayer. Right? That's the weapons in our armoury. Now, there's nothing mysterious about these things. I might, for the more, I might use a more new agey word. You ready? There's, there's nothing esoteric about these words. Have you heard that word before, esoteric? It sort of means an elusive spiritual knowledge. There's nothing esoteric about those things. It's simply about faithfully living and serving as disciples of Jesus. Karen asked those questions at the start today. Are you doing such and such? Are you doing such and such? Are, are you responding in such a way? You know what? That can all fit into this category of spiritual armour. Disciples of Jesus live by truth. Disciples of Jesus are pursuing righteousness and they're proclaiming the gospel of peace. It's about being firm in our faith and sure of the salvation that we have. And it's about holding on and holding true to the word of God. And it's about praying at all times. And if that is a picture of your life, you are well armoured. The devil cannot hurt you. So let's go back to the beginning. Let me set it in context here. Jesus has just come down from what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. What happened up there? Well, Jesus had taken three of his disciples up with him, Peter, James and John, up onto the mountaintop. And there Jesus was glorified before their eyes. Moses and Elijah also appeared. And now they've just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration and, and there's a whole crowd of people there. 
and a man comes and begs Jesus to help his son. In Jesus' absence, presumably while Jesus has been up the mountain, the man has brought his son to these other disciples that were still down there and asked them to drive the demon out of him, but they couldn't. Now, the boy's condition, to me, it sounds a lot like epilepsy, which is a neurological condition. The father describes it like this. A spirit seizes him, right? He has these seizures. And he suddenly cries out. It convulses him. He foams at the mouth. He says it shatters him. That's like saying bruises him. So when he gets thrown to the ground, his, his flesh is shattered. It bruises. And it ha- must happen often because he said they hardly ever leave him. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, it's described like this. He has seizures. He falls into the fire. He falls into the water. Now, when a child has seizures, that's a really scary thing for a parent. Really scary. And it would be normal for a parent to seek healing for a child who is suffering seizures. But Jesus' response, um, it seems to come across as being quite unreasonable. You know, his response is, oh, faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And when Jesus said that, he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 32. What's going on here? I suspect he's talking to the crowd rather than to, the, to just the dad. Because he's telling them off for being a faithless and twisted generation. Not just the person, it's the generation that's at fault. By the way, what do you think he would say of our generation? Perhaps faithless and twisted? I think so. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, which is where Jesus is quoting from, Moses is addressing the people of Israel. Actually, he's quoting the lyrics of a song. I don't know if this is the first time the song was sung or whether it was a song that they used to sing, which Moses quoted. I don't know. We're not told. But what the song does is, is it starts out by indicating is actually wanting to teach and to proclaim the greatness of God. And the song goes on to describe all of the good that God has done for his chosen people. But then it goes on to say how dreadful it is that they didn't recognise him. And the people didn't turn to God, they turned to idols and other gods. So the song that Moses is quoting there is about not recognising that God is in their presence and not recognising that that all of these good things that are happening is the activity of God and the merciful actions of God. Now, if Jesus is quoting that, what do you think he's telling that faithless and twisted generation? Jesus came to reveal himself to the people. That's what all of these miracles and spiritual victories over Satan are about. Up on the mountaintop, Peter, James and John had caught a glimpse of his glory. And then Jesus comes down from the mountain and comes into this crowd of people that are eagerly waiting for him and nothing's changed. They continue to crave miracles. And while, these, while they are seeing these miracles, they miss 
the most important bit. What these miracles are revealing about Jesus. They're revealing the presence of God in Jesus Christ. And they're missing it. Now, as disciples of Jesus, we're not meant to be miracles junkies and signs and wonders junkies. You know how some, some folk, they're sort of like, oh, we're, we're going to have miracle of God today, and, and that'll be a sign that, that God is with us. And if a miracle doesn't happen, is, is that a sign that God wasn't with you? See, we're not meant to be chasing after these things. These things are not the source of our joy, and they're not the source of our passion, and they're not the source of our faith. Jesus is the source. Anyway, when, when the disciples had tried to heal this boy, they couldn't. Why? Well, Luke doesn't tell us straight out, which is a bit different to the other Gospels. Matthew tells us that it's because the disciples' faith was too small. Mark tells us that it... That it um, because that type of demon only comes out with prayer or with prayer and fasting. But in the Gospel of Luke, it doesn't tell us straight out. But as we read on, it becomes pretty evident that the disciples' hearts aren't right. I extended that reading by one verse further than what people would normally read when they're studying that little section. That verse 46 says, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Now that's telling me the disciples' hearts aren't in a good place with God. You can sort of see what's happening there, can't you? you know, I'm more spiritual than you are. Oh, well, you know, you, you couldn't even cast that demon out the other day. You know, I, I, I cast out three demons today. Before. You, we don't know what they're saying. But how, how do you argue about who's the greatest? How do you argue about who's the most spiritual? Is it any wonder that they couldn't set that boy free of the demon? Anyway, Jesus heals the boy. Bring your son here. And while this coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. Now, what does it mean to rebuke? Basically, Jesus told it off. And we don't know what Jesus said, but he told him off. Maybe he said, you foul spirit, you can't do that. Get out of that boy. Don't know. Don't know what Jesus said, but he told him off. And he healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Right? So he rebuked the unclean spirit and he healed the boy. The result? All were astonished at the majesty of God, at the greatness of God, at the grandeur of God. That's what majesty is about. We'd marvel too, wouldn't we? If we saw that happen, too right we would. But while the crowds were marvelling at everything that Jesus was doing, he made a very important announcement to his disciples. Right? So all these people are marvelling and, and Jesus makes a very important announcement. How do we know it's important? Because he said to the disciples, let these words sink into your ears. Ooh. That sounds pretty important, doesn't it? Right? What he's about to say, this is the most important bit. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. 
And you can just imagine the disciples, okay, yep, we're letting those words sink in. I have no idea what he's talking about. And they couldn't even work out what he was talking about because we're told that God was hiding it from them. And even though they knew that it was really, really important and they had no idea what it was about, they were too afraid to ask Jesus what it meant. We can be like that sometimes, can't we? We know that something, we might read something in the Scriptures and we know, yeah, I think that's really important, but I have no idea what that's about. Oh, well, and we go on our way. Maybe it's time to read a commentary. Time to call another Christian and ask them, hey, I was just reading such and such. What do you think that means? So what's, what's all this reading about? It seems to like jump all over the place a bit. And, and we seem to learn lots of little bits. So we learn about healing and how sometimes healing is is of an ailment that's caused by a demon and sometimes it's a physical ailment and sometimes it could be caused by both. We learn about not focusing on the miracles and the signs and wonders, but, but focusing on the one they point to and the majesty of Jesus. And we learn about the greatness of God, the majesty of God, the grandeur of God revealed in his son. We learn about all those things. We also learn about how a faithless and twisted generation don't recognise God or his son, no matter how much evidence he gives to them. We learn all of that stuff. But if you read the different Gospels, you realise that each of the Gospels has a different emphasis of the message that's being given. And each Gospel has its main point. We're studying Luke today. What's the main point of Luke? Well, Jesus has used a great big highlighter when he said, let these words sink into your ears. Right? So this is the main point that he's about to give. And we have to wrestle with this and struggle with this and pray and search the scriptures and try and understand why is this the main point? The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. That's the main point. How does that fit with what's just happened? Why is he telling us that now? It's all tied together. We've seen the glory of Jesus up on the mountain. And there, up on the mountain, Moses and Elijah spoke to Jesus about his departure, about his exodus. That's an important word, exodus. And they told him that he was about to accomplish this in Jerusalem. Jesus, at the exodus, is a great setting free of captives. And Jesus is just about to accomplish a great setting free of captives in Jerusalem. And now he's saying the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Can you see how this is all connecting up? The disciples had no idea what was going on, but we do. Through the blood of Jesus poured out on the cross... He accomplished the exodus. He set us free. He was delivered into the hands of men to be put on trial for his life. 
His own creation stood above him and Jesus was in the dock and pronounced him guilty. And he is executed. And in this he set us free. With his wounds we are healed. By his death we receive eternal life. Now, a faithless and twisted generation will never receive this ultimate healing of eternal life. Why? Because a faithless and twisted generation, while they may continue to lap up the miracles and the signs and the wonders, they still do not recognise the one true God and his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. They still do not submit their lives to him. But for those of faith, Wow, what a promise we have before us. You know, when when Jesus returns, some of us are going to find that our current vocation is completely useless in the new kingdom. Dr. Karen's going to be out of a job. And so's Nurse Robin. And Nurse Jackie and Nurse Laura, you're all going to be unemployed or or redeployed in heaven because there's not going to be any sick people or dying people to look after. Guess what? I'm going to be unemployed too. Not going to need any preachers in heaven because (laughs) you're always already looking forward to not being any preachers. There's not going to be anyone to save because it's only going to be the saved there. And even if my ministry is mainly teaching ministry, I'm not going to need to teach either because we will all know him. This is what we look forward to. And I think the older we get, the more we look forward to it. Hey, Margaret. Looking Looking forward to the new kingdom of Jesus? Yeah. No more achy joints. No more dicky shoulders, Andrew. No more bad backs. No more seizures. No more depression or anxiety. No more headaches, no more evil, no more demon possession. Through what Jesus did on the cross, our bodies are going to be changed and evil is going to be dispensed with completely and we enter eternal glory. But Luke's telling us here, but not everyone, not everyone. A twisted and faithless generation will not enter this life that we we proclaim. Let Jesus straighten you up. It's not the signs you need. It's not the wonders you need. It's not the miracles you need. Faith in Jesus is what you need. That the natural inclination of man, the sinful fleshly inclination of man is twisted, distorted, distorted against God and bent away from God. And you might know, you might know that you need to turn to Jesus. You might know it in your head, you might know it in your heart, I need to turn to Jesus. But there's something in you twisting you away from him. That's the evil one. That's the evil fleshly inclination of man. God wants to straighten you up. And turn you back to him and have faith. And that's my prayer. Lord, I pray for every person listening to this today. 
I pray that you would set us straight, that by faith we would turn to the Lord Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, we long for the day of your coming where there will be no more sickness and no more disease. And in glory, we will sing your praises forever. But until then, as we fulfil the calling that you've given us in this world, in the name of Jesus and, and by your Holy Spirit, may the sick be healed. And may the demoniac be given freedom for your glory. And may these miracles not be the focus as we set our hearts on you. To God be the glory through our Lord, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.